So let's get into God's word. We've been hearing about Peter and, uh, and today what I am praying, the message that God has given me is that I pray that today it goes from being a head knowledge of a man who lived 2,000 years ago to being a heart experience of what God would have for every single one of us today as we encounter this man called Peter. So if you turn with me to the Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 38. And it says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to, that, to their number that day. And if then we go down to Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up into the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them, jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter said this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disown the holy and righteous one and ask that a murderer be released to you. You kill the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this by faith in the name of Jesus. This man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him has completely healed him as you can all see. Now fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This is an incredibly powerful sermon. He has just seen a man paralyzed from birth, healed. He then turns to these guys. He tells them they're ignorant, tells them that what they've done is wrong, and he prays that they may repent and turn and be baptized. This is the same Peter who we will remember well when Jesus needed him the most. He is being on trial, about to be put to death. And Peter says, I don't know him. No, no idea. No, oh, I'm not one of him. I, nothing. Then when Jesus has been crucified and is in the tomb in John chapter 20, Verse 19, it says, On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Peter was a man of fear for so long in his walk. 
He was scared of what others would think of him. He was scared of what the people would do to him if they knew he was with Jesus. He was scared of what the elders would do, of what the leaders of that Jewish time would do to him if they knew that he was one of his men. And now we see this incredible transformation in the life of Peter. A transformation that would seem not only go to some of his friends, yeah, I actually know Jesus, I'm mates with him. Not a guy who just wears around a, a bracelet, but I'll cover it up with a long robe, or I'll wear a cross on my neck, but I'll cover it up with a tunic. This is a man who stands before the crowds and says, repent and be baptised because you were ignorant and you put him to death. That is a powerful proclamation. So what is it that sees this man go from being a man of fear to an incredible man of courage? And that's what we're going to look at today. Courage is a rare commodity, yeah? So about 18 months ago, I had the incredible privilege of going overseas with my family and, uh, and it was outstanding. Best holiday, holiday of an absolute lifetime. And for me, one of the highlights was that I'd always want to take my kids to Disneyland. I grew up with uh, a family just in the, uh, the back streets of Brisbane and every year, the same two weeks, the same caravan, Alexandra Headlands Caravan Park. Every year, holidays, you could, you could know the date, 10th of January to the whatever of January, same caravan, same week, every time. And I thought, how cool would it be when I get older to be able to take my kids somewhere spectacular for a holiday? And for me, that's Disneyland. So we get to Disneyland and it's awesome. And it's the happiest place on earth. That's how they promote it. And to be honest, it just about is, second only to the spring fair that St. Philip's Christian College runs. <laughs> but as well as being a place of joy and fun and happiness, it is also a place of fear for me. And not fear because of talking mice or princesses in real life, but it's actually a place of fear because of the amount of rides that are there. I hate carnival rides. I'm actually scared of them. I'm scared that I'm going to fall out. I'm scared that I'm just going to get so dizzy. I'm scared that I'm going to actually not be able to breathe because the thing comes down on your chest. And then I have this fear, these things pushing on my chest and I'm upside down. And I'm just full of fear and I hate the things. Yeah, they go fast. It seems unnatural to me. And yet I have a wonderful daughter who's 12 and loves those things. And we're now in the happiest place on earth. And so I had to be that dad, didn't I? Because I couldn't go home with my daughter coming back and telling everyone that she'd missed out. And so ride after ride, we're in Disneyland and Universal Studios and you stand in a line for 40 minutes so that your fear really has the time to really get you going. As you hear the screams and the squeals, as you watch people get off at the other end and they can't move, and I'm like, what the heck are we doing this for, Ellie? There's this ride called The Mummy in Universal Studios, and fair income, it is pitch black. Like, it is pitch black. Can't see your hand, yeah? And this is how they promote it. They promote it as the fastest ride going around, yeah? And the whole time, it's like how many kilometres an hour it can clock. And so I'm saying to every attendant on the way through the gates, is it really that fast? Oh, yeah, man, it's really fast. Like, they're thinking this is great. And I go, oh, okay. I think they're thinking I'm asking because I want it to be fast. And they go, is it true that it goes backwards? Oh, yeah, it's awesome when it goes backwards. So we get next to this couple, and it was a guy and, a, and, and his girlfriend, and he was obviously trying to really impress this girl. Uh, he's all dressed up, and he's being all Mr. Cool and stuff. And so we get down, we sit in this carriage of four, and I say to them, I say, look, I have to apologise. 
I am going to squeal like a little girl on this ride and I'm really, really sorry. I'm only here because of my daughter. And the girl says, that's right, I'm only here because of my boyfriend. And so uh, so you then go flying through this ride, yeah, and you get off the other end, you're so disorientated. And then the best part of it is that they take a photo of you, don't they? Just on the way out, you can see how scared you really were, just so it's right there in your face, yeah? I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier to say no to things you don't want to do. It is a lot easier to take the easy way out. And courage is a rare thing in this life. It is a rare thing. It is rare for a kid to stand up for another kid when on the bus drive home. It is rare for a kid and to take the courage to go and stand up for another student in the playground who's having a tough time. It is rare to be able to put your hand up in a room full of people and say, actually, I believe in this. And if you think of the amount of social dialogues that are going on at the moment in our society, it is rare and hard for as a Christian young person to put your hand up and say, actually, I believe in this. Courage is a rare thing. And yet here, finally, in the life of Peter, we see him step into this courage. We remember well too well, Peter, the guy who lets it all go. Three years of intimate relationship with Jesus. That's not just three years of Bible college or three years of hanging. This is three years with Jesus himself. Like he's his mate. And we all know that as mates, you don't do that to each other. If someone who I'd known for three years said, no, Coxie, no, I don't know. No, don't know who he is. Man, I would be so angry at that guy. Like he has let me down big time. And it is easy for us to remember that about Peter. And yet somehow something happens in the life of Peter that he goes from completely abandoning Jesus to being the most incredible preacher Like historically, you think of leaders that have led organisations that last and grow. And Christianity has 2.4 billion people in the world. It is in every single country of the world. And it is there because of this man, Peter, who had the courage to step up and preach the name of Jesus and to tell people that they were ignorant and wrong and they needed to repent and be baptised. That's an incredible leader historically. So what's happened? What changed? Why this incredible transformation? And I think the first one for me comes at the end of John. And it's in John chapter 21. And Jesus has come back from the dead. And he has appeared to the disciples. They see an incredible miracle where they catch some fish. And then they're sitting there having breakfast. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I'm always amazed that this is the first words that Jesus asked him. Not, man, what was going on with you when you let me go? Man, what happened there? What? Jesus, Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. It's a pretty big, pretty, pretty big claim, given that the last time that Jesus and Peter were near each other, Peter said, I don't even know who you are. And now he says, yeah, you know I love you. Yeah, you know that I love you. So Jesus, says, Jesus said, feed my lambs. And then Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The audacity of Peter to get a little bit frustrated in here just blows me. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. 
It's an interesting response that Peter was hurt, even though not that long ago he told Jesus that he didn't know who he was. But Peter was hurt that he would even ask him. And Jesus says to him, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. The incredible forgiveness of Jesus. The incredible forgiveness and the release that must have had in Simon Peter's life. So many times I wonder if we're held back from being all that God would have us be. To claim the authority of Jesus because of a sense of guilt. What we may have done wrong in the past. Not being the person that God would have us be. Do we not feel good enough? Do we not feel godly enough? Do we compare ourselves to someone else and we beat ourselves up? Do we, we know we let God down or we let ourselves down or we let someone else down and then we, Jesus loves you. And there is power in forgiveness. And there is real power when you know that Jesus loves you and he forgives you. And I can only imagine that this sense must have washed over Peter. This, oh, he forgives me. And now he's blessing my ministry to go and feed his people and to take care of his people and to show that same love to his people. What an incredible blessing from Jesus to then say, Peter, you go for it, man. You've got my blessing. You go and you take care of them and you feed them and you love them. You're still the man. Way back in Matthew 16, when we first met Peter, Jesus gave him the coolest nickname ever, yeah, The Rock. He said, you're the rock and on you I'm going to build my church and that's a sign of the man that Peter was going to become and the ministry that he was going to have. And Jesus still believes in him, even though Peter had let him down so many times, Jesus still believes in him and says, you still have this incredible ministry ahead of you, Peter. And if you are here today and you believe that God had called you to something, but because of circumstances, whatever has gone on in your world, Jesus still loves you, he still believes in you, and that call is still the same. May you know the forgiving power of Jesus this morning. He doesn't expect you to be good enough before he forgives you. He forgives you, Ebony. So not only did Jesus give Peter a new name, but he also empowered him with the most amazing gift. Jesus just preached on it earlier in the year. In Matthew 16, 19, Jesus says to Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. This is the guy who then says, oh, I don't know him. What did he do with those keys to the kingdom of heaven? Did he lock them away? Did he put them somewhere? Did he forget about them? Like, What happened? Christ has given us the same keys. He has given us that same authority. And in the book of Acts, we finally hear about Peter actually claiming this authority. Finally, we see this man step up. So what was it? And for me, the forgiveness. And the second thing there is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You will receive power. Peter knew the Jewish law. I would suggest that many of us know this book as well. Peter knew the right from wrong. I would suggest many of us do as well. But he received power when the Holy Spirit came on him. And my question is, do you know the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? 
There is the Holy Spirit, the comforter. There is the Holy Spirit, your guide. There is the Holy Spirit, your counsel. But do you know the Holy Spirit whom is your power and authority in your life? Because when Peter received of the power of the Holy Spirit, it went from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge and everything in his world absolutely changed. Too many people let themselves down because they do not know the authority they carry with Jesus in their hearts. They hear it in their head, but they do not know it in their hearts. The promises in God's word are incredible. You are sons and daughters. You are heirs to the throne. He will never leave you or forsake you. I must go so that you may do greater than I. We read these and we know them in our head. Do you know it in your heart? Because on the day of Pentecost, when tongues of fire came upon these people and the building began to shake because of their praises, everything in their world changed. May this book go from a book that you know in your head to verses that you can recite, to being a power that changes the way that you live. There is no, the guys were praying for boldness in Acts chapter 4. How many of us pray for the same boldness to go out and actually dare to preach such a powerful message that Peter preached? Do we pray for the boldness to actually pray for healing in our people's lives that we encounter? I was sitting with a parent at the end of the carnival yesterday. And she wanted to invite a uh, tarot card reader person in. And, uh, and I said to this lady, why do we need to pay someone to tell you what happens from a flipped over card? I said, I can do it for free for you. And she says, what? I said, well, I worship a God who actually believes in the gift of prophecy. And if you want to hear what's going on in your life, I'm happy to pray and hear from God and speak it to you. But if I say that to you, you will believe that I'm Looney Tunes, even though you've known me for six years and you know what I believe. So why is it that because it's in the stars or it's on a card or it's in a tea leaf that you will believe it and pay for it? And so she says to me, she says, yeah, you're right. I probably would think you're a bit loony. She says, it's all spirits and it's all gods. I said, well, you know the God that I worship because you see the love. You see the way I accept you. You see the way I live my life and you know that that is a good God. So why would you doubt that good loving God for the God of a stranger whom you don't know? And this is a conversation at the end of a spring fair when we've been awake since all hours in the morning. We've just lifted a whole heap of furniture and moved stuff out of the way. And then I said, I'm preaching at church tomorrow. I said, if you really want that word for God, I am more than happy to give you that word of God because that's called prophecy and that is a gift from God. And so we had this incredible conversation. Do we live out that power every moment of our life and believe that God will give you a word for someone? Do we believe in the power of healing in our lives? Do we believe that actually if we speak out in a social situation, even though it might not be cool or acceptable, that God is going to empower that and fill those words with his glory and see people return and be repent and baptised? We have the courage to act on our calling when we walk in the authority of Christ and the empowerment of our Holy Spirit. One of my favourite Bible stories of all time is David and Goliath. I love the underdog. 
I love the fact that someone smaller or less can beat someone and I've loved living my life that way and I don't know if it was because I was always small growing up that I always had to try and prove myself. I love the courage that he showed. I love just the fact that there's a fight involved. Yeah, I just love that whole story. We see David the shepherd boy. Whenever I think of a shepherd... I always think of someone really soft and gentle for some reason. I don't know. I always just think of him being a lovely guy. Just, you know, hanging out with sheep. I, I don't know. And I don't know how too many shepherds personally, but that's just the image that I have in my head of a shepherd guy. And I don't know if anyone else is the same in that. And so I've got this image of this pretty young boy, David, going out to fight this seasoned, ugly warrior who's like missing teeth, he's got scars on his body and he would just be this ugly, menacing guy and I have this image in my head of what that must have been like. And David was not afraid. Like there was not one ounce of him that went said with fear and trembling or with trepidation he went before Goliath. Man, he said, I will go and he went straight strutting out there, no equipment on, no... Man, that is a man of courage. So where did that courage come from? He spoke with the authority of someone who had been with God. 1 Samuel 17, 45. You come against me with sword, spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Where's his authority? In the name of the Lord Almighty. You know, that should have been Saul's fight. Saul was the king. He was the leader. That's what he's supposed to do. And in 1 Samuel 9, 2, it says that he was a head taller than everyone else. He's the biggest Israelite there. And if the other guy's pulling out his biggest guy, you pull out your biggest guy. You don't send in the small little fella. You send in your big guy. That should have been Saul. That was his authority. That was his space to be, to say, I'm the man. I'm the king appointed by God, and we're going to take this guy down. And he reneged on his authority. He gave his authority up. So what did God do? He gave his authority to someone else. He said, I will go in the name of the Lord. And so he granted David the authority to conquer Goliath. Where did David's courage come from? It came in the name of the Lord. And he claimed it. Peter says to a lame man in that story, I don't have any silver and gold. What do I have? In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. The name of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, it says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Where is our courage to act? Where is our courage to set people free? Where is our courage to heal and to preach? It comes in the name of Jesus. It is higher than all other names. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Is the name of Jesus a name that you hear? Is the name of Jesus live inside of your heart? It is no longer I, but Christ in me. The Christ is the name at which I can claim that authority and act with the boldness that he would have me act. Both David and Peter showed this courage under extreme circumstances. They had this incredible courage to act. Years before... Moses, saying in his conversation with God when he's got to go and face Pharaoh, he said, oh man, who will I say sent me? Who will I say sent me? There's authority in a name. As a teacher, I know when I send a kid to another room, I'd say, hey, say Mr. Cox said this. And they go over and they say it and it happens. 
Yeah, Mr. Cox said that we need to get this and this. Oh, okay, and they do it. There is power in the name. If you those of us have got kids, you know. You go and you say, Dad said, stop doing that and put it away. And they go out the back and say, Dad said to stop doing it, and they stop it. There is power, there is authority that comes in the name. And Moses is there saying, well, who am I going to say he sent me? And God gives Moses the best big brother answer ever. I don't know if you're a big brother, but there are some times where you just got to step up for your younger brother. And, uh, and there's a whole history of me doing that with my young brother when we were kids growing up. And God says, you tell him that I am who I am sent me. I am sent me. That same I am goes with you today. When you are confronting a situation and people want to talk to you, well, what do you believe in that? Your authority comes because the great I am has sent you into that place. The great I am not only sent you, but he says, I won't leave you or forsake you. I'm right there with you in that moment. And Peter finally captures this for his own life. That the great I am is with him. When you walk through your streets, do you carry the presence of the great I am in your heart, in your mind and in your words? That's the power of the Holy Spirit that came upon these men and women at Pentecost at work. Acts chapter 5 Verses 15. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them. Man, they didn't even want to hear his words. They just wanted his shadow to fall on them. This isn't Jesus. This is the same guy who sunk when we tried to walk on water. This is the same guy who said he didn't even know Jesus and yet not that long after people want his shadow to fall on them. Why? Because there'll be healing there. This is an incredible transformation in this person's life. Like this isn't just a little, oh, I'll stop doing that or I'll cut out gluten. This is an incredible change in this man's life. This is not Jesus, it's not God, it is Peter, a fisherman. And people wanted his shadow to fall on them. This is what we're called to. This is why we study the life of Peter. Not so we can look at his failings and go, oh yeah, good. If he's that bad, I'm okay as well. We're looking at a Peter now that saw his shadow trying to heal people. This is why I look to these characters in these Bible. They are men and women of faith who lived out this faith every moment of their life, in their downs and then in their ups. We have that same authority. We carry that same authority of Christ. Jess preached it earlier in the year. We have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. In my previous school, I... um, it was a standing joke amongst all the staff. I was the deputy principal at the school and, uh, and I had no idea how to use the security system. And, uh, and even though I was the deputy principal, I was supposed to know uh, how all the keys worked and what all the codes were and who the company was to ring. And man, there was just way too many buttons. There was too many buttons. There was too many numbers. There was too many, this key for that area and that key. And I just used to avoid it at all costs. I hated it. And so I started out there at Cessnock 
and, uh, and we've obviously been building a brand new school. And so in the setup of that, whose responsibility was it to set up security stuff and keys and stuff? I had to work with the business manager to work this stuff out. And so my people from my previous school, this one was hilarious, that this guy goes from no clue to now I'm actually responsible for the security and for who calls whom and for what goes where. At our school, there's four different levels of key, depending on where you go and what you need to get into. And in my position as the principal there, I carry the black key. And earlier this year, one of the, uh, the year 12 boys said, oh, sir, can I borrow your keys? And so I tossed him the keys and he goes, oh, black. Oh, I haven't seen one of these before. There's only like two or three in the school. Where does that get you? I said, underground. (laughs) That key of mine carries the authority to get into every single cupboard and room and door in the entire school. There is not a safe, a lock, nothing that that key of mine cannot open. If as the principal of that school, with that authority, to let anyone into whichever room I choose. If I put that in my top drawer and shut it and walked around and every time I got to a room said, hey, can you let me in? I don't have my keys. I don't have my keys. I can't get in. Can you let me in? People would start to get frustrated, but I'd also start to wonder, man, why on earth aren't you using your key? Your key can get you into wherever it is that you want to go. I've been given authority. Why wouldn't I use it? Why wouldn't I use it to open up doors and say, hey man, yeah, I can let you in. I can let you in. I can get in there. Why wouldn't I use that? There's no way that I walk around with that key in the top drawer. And in the life of Peter, when Jesus says to him, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, what did he do? I reckon he put those keys in the drawer for a little while. And in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 1, when he received the Holy Spirit, I think he finally got the keys out of the drawer. He's gone, hang on a second. This is what Jesus has been talking to me about. And he opens the drawer and he gets out the keys. And now he's walking around. And what are those keys to the kingdom of heaven doing? I Be healed in the name of Jesus. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Repent and be baptised in the name of Jesus. Man, he's got the authority. He's got these keys that Jesus gave him. And all of a sudden he's using them. And he's unlocking people's lives everywhere. And people are being set free. 3,000 were added to this number that day. 5,000 were added to their number that day. People got up who had been paralysed from birth and walked because of the authority that he carried in the name of Jesus. We have the same keys to the kingdom of heaven. Peter is a man and we are here worshipping Jesus Christ today because of this man, Peter. If he didn't find the boldness and the courage to stand up and preach that day and see 3,000 come to faith, 5,000 come to faith, we wouldn't be here worshipping Jesus today because this man took of the keys to the kingdom of heaven. In 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, who is going to be worshipping Jesus Christ because you unlocked the keys to their life with the keys that you have to the kingdom of heaven? Is your family, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren? Who is going to be changed because you finally take the authority that you have in the name of Jesus? When he says to Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and he gives them to us today. If they've been in your drawer and you know the Scriptures today, I encourage you to take them out of the drawer and start to walk in the authority of Jesus Christ. We read in Acts that people said we could see the boldness in their lives as someone who had been with Jesus.
In the Old Testament, the priests used to carry the keys around on their shoulder so that people could see who they were, so they could see the authorities on their shoulder. In the New Testament, they didn't have to. They saw it in the way that he lived their life. Do people see it in the way that you lived your life? Graham last week talked about having growth. There should be markers in our life. Will today be one of those markers? When you walk out there, they'll go, man, that guy's different. You walk into work tomorrow morning at nine o'clock and they go, what's different with you? What's different? I'm walking in the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what's different about me. When you speak to someone, they say, there's something different about your words. They say, yeah, there's something different about my words. They are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And those words speak truth and life and love and freedom into people's lives. You got a sore leg, I'm going to pray for that in the name of Jesus. You got issues in your world, I'm going to pray for that in the name of Jesus. If Peter can do it in the face of death, then why can't we do it in the face of what a little bit of rejection or people aren't going to like us? Man, I love you anyway, so don't worry about what the other people say. The great I am walks with you. Jehovah Jireh will not let you fail. Today, this word of the law, it needs to go from a word of the law that Peter knew when he denied Jesus to being the word of the law that came out of his mouth every time he spoke because his heart just resonated with the risen Lord of Jesus Christ. The day of Pentecost is where it changed. May that be your experience today. Today we are going to pray that just as Peter started ministering to the Jews, Paul started ministering to the Gentiles in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to pray for that today. My challenge today, my invitation today is that if you want to receive a fresh of the power of the Holy Spirit, because you've been walking in your own strength, and your own strength, you're not seeing the supernatural, you're not seeing into the spiritual. My prayer today is that you would accept the Holy Spirit again. It's a different way to live life and all of a sudden you've got a boldness and a courage that you never knew existed before. You see world in a whole different way. You don't see issues as issues. You see them as an opportunity for God to work in an amazing, miraculous, supernatural way. And my gosh, He does. And He wants to and He wants to use us today. My prayer is that you will not walk out of here the same person as you entered today. Today is about accepting anew of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life so that we can live out the authority in the name of Jesus. It's at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. And we carry the name of Jesus in our hearts.